This podcast is brought to you by EnergyX. Are you tired of paying huge rates to the big cloud providers? Are you worried about being booted off a cloud platform if your company doesn't meet their ever-shifting standards? Ready to step up your data security and disaster recovery game? Well, ladies and gentlemen, your new cloud is ready. Introducing xCloud, the scalable, resilient computing cloud that is also actually affordable. It's high-performance compute for half the cost. HPC for HTC. xCloud from Red Team is opening a beta program for new cloud computing customers, and that means you, my friend. The xCloud is powered by the XMDC Immersion Cooled Modular Data Center from EnergyX. I've seen this data center in operation, and it is a total game changer. So if you want more information about the beta launch, go to the URL in the description. Type in promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, for 50% off of your first instance. And so the URL is going to be digitalwildcutters.com forward slash energy. X. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Gas Service Podcast. I've got good friends, Noel Combs, Jeff Bland from Lifecycle Power. Good to have you guys here. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. What do you guys do? <laughs> oh, man. Who wants to take that um, one? Power throwing you, throwing you the, the hard questions right out the gate. Right off the gate. Very tough. Uh, power generation. Uh, we specialize in mobile turbine generators. Um, as about, like, jet as turbines? I mean, Basil, they're the same like, ones that are in, mm -hmm. yep, yep. So uh, mobile power generation, everything from five megawatts, 16 and a half megawatts, 34 and a half megawatts and larger. Um, we work in the utility industry, the oil and gas industry, data centers, uh, mining, what am I, anything that needs power, emergency response. Mm. So essentially we're, we're mobile power generation. Power podcast, too. You need that. Do you have a power podcast? No, we, we power podcast. Oh, you podcast. could power podcast. You, you definitely could power podcast. Yeah, this requires any... practically no energy. <laughs> it might be a little overkill, but oh, we, well, could definitely, we could definitely do it. <clears throat> so walk me through some of the applications. Um, I do want to talk about some of the other stuff that you guys are doing around like data centers and stuff, particularly as it like, pertains to like, AI and stuff. But let's start off with the core oil and gas stuff. Like, What are the applications that you guys are... I think, uh, well, the kind of biggest piece of our business right now is in the completion side. I mean, the the need um, for production power is, you know, it's still there, but as the utility fills in the gaps, then that kind of ebbs and flows. But certainly in the completion side, the the need for temporary power or movable power is a big, big piece of the, the business. So in oil and gas, that, that constitutes a, a big chunk. We're doing about 35% of all the electric fracking uh, currently which is a uh, yeah so i mean it's a great step forward the electric thing I, I just think everyone's starting to really realize the benefits of it it's performance mm. it's fuel usage it's cost um so you know we're right at the forefront of being able to make that happen so let's talk about um how how has it been done before efrac right so i'm, I'm assuming it's it's like diesel generators and stuff, right? Well, they, they've just been diesel frack pumps, right? And yeah. then some people were swapping over to dual fuel. So they okay. were doing diesel and natural gas. And then, I mean, you still have some folks today that are running half E-fleets. And then the other half might be diesel or the dual fuel frack pumps. 
Hmm. So um, essentially, historically, it's just been diesel, diesel frack pumps moving to dual fuel. Now we're going the electric route and uh, utilizing that the field gas. And that's a, a benefit of using a turbine generator is that we can utilize that field gas straight out of the ground and it can actually um, handle a higher BTU content than some mm. other generators out there, like the reciprocating engines. Um, you won't see any D-rate with the higher BTU content with a turbine. Do you have to like clean that gas up at all or do you just pump it straight? No, no like uh, very often we just <coughs> straight from the wellhead, we got to compress it. But other than that, um, I mean, we may superheat the gas right right before it hits the turbine to suspend any liquids, but the turbines in general can handle a much higher BTU content. I mean, we've dealt with some really, really wet, nasty gas, and uh, they just they perform much better than the the reciprocating alternative, which will derate um, with the poor quality. Turbines will derate off of elevation and ambient temperature, mm-hmm. unlike a resib, but the the resibs will derate off of poor quality gas and. Um, you know, with emissions and, you know, reducing flaring and everything, if we can utilize that gas, like that's the most economic direction. What's the, what's the minimum amount of gas needed? You like that? That's not a, <laughs> for those listening, it just, chair just totally dropped. It's not a, it's, your turn it's to not speak. a bug. It's a feature. It's a, it gets everybody smiling every time. It's so funny. I love when that happens. Um, what's the minimum amount of gas to make these things run? And then like, what's the maximum amount of gas that it can consume? So I love that you just brought that up, but I'll answer your question first and just say that it's relative. I mean, it depends on how much power they're drawing, a half E-fleet, what turbine they're using. So Lifecycle Power has the the broadest, like the most versatile fleet between, you know, our three to four different types and sizes mm-hmm. of turbines. So it's going to, I mean, it's not one size fits all, but, you know, if you're running a 30 megawatt unit, one thing I want to say um, is... I heard this at a conference, a very large conference from an operator and uh, somebody else in the power gen space. And they ultimately said, you know, they went with what they did because, you know, a 30 megawatt turbine, they didn't want to bring that in. They didn't want to consume 30 megawatts worth of fuel. They only needed 19 for their their frack. You know, that's all that's all they were going to run. So they they chose not to go with a 30 megawatt turbine. And and I'm like, you don't use 30 megawatts of fuel if you're not utilizing 30 megawatts worth of power. And um, I think that's a little bit of a misconception. And mm-hmm. uh, a turbine may consume a little bit more fuel in idle, but no operator should base their fuel consumption based off of their downtime and um, you know their NPT essentially. So uh, they're very efficient machines. You know, we've got the five, 16 and a half and 35 megawatt that we use for EFRAC. And um, unless you have a number off the top of your head, I mean, it all depends on your elevation, right? Because I said you'll see D-rate at higher and higher temps. So that same turbine in the same location in summer and winter, your fuel consumption will change a bit. But essentially, I mean- It's about about eight standard cubic feet of gas per kW hour. Yeah. Up to about maybe 11 or 12, depending on- So it does fluctuate. It's hard for me to just give you one answer because this person in- Houston is not going to have the same fuel consumption as that person in Utah, um, you know, in different times of the year. But so, do you guys manufacture these? Do you buy these units? We we that? buy them from a variety of vendors. So okay. we work with all the the big turbine companies. Um, 
we buy the latest and greatest because we're not we're not tied to any vendor. Mm. So when it comes to picking and choosing, we pick we pick the best on the market uh, for the application, and uh, we kind of have that flexibility. You just not being tied to anyone. We're not we're not tied to a vendor, a manufacturer. We're not tied to a service company who's pumping. Uh, AK, we don't have any. We don't have a pump daddy. Uh, we're independent. <laughs> I said it. We're independent. And I mean, we, we like that stance, right? We can work with the operators. We can work with the service companies. And, um, and nobody and has to worry about space. nobody yeah. has to worry about us having an ulterior motive or pushing mm -hmm. a certain technology or wanting to do this or that. We don't have an ulterior motive. We're just going to give the most reliable power on the market. So what you, you kind of touched on some key points on why eFrac. Let's dive a little deeper into that. For anybody who's kind of wondering, like, what are the benefits of eFrac? Why, why go this way? So, I mean, electric fracking, I, I think really came about, it was probably US Well was one of the, the first mm -hmm. companies to get into that space. Uh, it was a, a move that happened for the most part, not because directly that people wanted to move to electric. It was because they wanted to cut cost. Okay, that, I mean, it's a big piece of it. So it's much cheaper to run on uh, gas than it would be on diesel. So as the as the technology moved that way and the the pumps started to get electric drives on the back end, there's there's a lot of safety uh, advantages. Even the uh, where all the fluids come in together on the manifold, it's much more controllable with mm -hmm. electric drives than when you've got engine driven pumps. So uh, performance wise, it was starting you, to you look need significantly less trucks too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't have the diesel trucks coming in and out if you can just bring a pipeline in, you know. So, I mean, the technology's taken a little while to evolve, and the, there's certainly been some, you know, some false starts. Different operators have tried it. They've they've had some challenges, but right now, the, I, I've never seen so much of a push for it. I mean, I'm you're hearing about a lot of the the fracking companies starting to invest in this technology, and it's not just because. Of environmental reasons i mean obviously going with uh with you know cleaner fuels is better and then really the end game is to try and get on the grid i mean at some point or another if the grid has the capacity to connect you then you can take your frack and actually have that connected directly directly so these to units have the capability of running off either the gas or the or the grid yeah the pump the yeah. pump skids do yeah so yeah. they they're electric the, drives the pumps do okay yeah, so if they go on the grid, then essentially the turbine goes away. But that brings me to a really good point is at the beginning, Jeff was saying, you know, our, our primary right now in the oil and gas space is electric fracking. We started, you know, we started, you know, four to five years ago um, with one single five megawatt turbine in production. Okay, that's that's how the company got started. And now we have, you know, almost a gigawatt in our fleet in that short of time. So we've had a huge ramp, but what I, we started in production power, our bread and butter what, was kind of there. How do you define production power? I, I'll, I'll get there um, right after this, but it kind of like switched to um, electric frack. Yeah. And I'm seeing in the last six months to year, the conversations going back to production power, powering ESPs, um, production facilities, um, Anything of that sort, just on the production side. Once, once your uh, your well is drilled, mm -hmm. and then you're actually producing oil, you need to have the the VFDs powered. So that's mm -hmm. the production power 
So yeah. it's the easiest. It's kind How of the longest term. Consume? Well, I mean, one one well is going to be about like three hundred fifty kW. Okay, it's pretty okay. small. But, but you can power have, like a field. Yeah, you have like a multi-well pad, okay, yeah. which has got multiple. So that uh, technology things. changed. It used to be like 150 horsepower and I yeah. believe it, like it, it you know, it doubled, tripled over. And they, they were needing more power uh, for their fields. And then the reason I wanted to bring that up is because, you know, that kind of swaps us. I'm seeing more and more people needing production power. And with the EFRAC space going, power is becoming constrained, but also the grid is constrained. So the end goal is always to put everything on the grid, right? For the especially production. And now these operators can't get their interconnects and they're they're being told they gotta wait a year, two years, three years, or not at all. And you know, they have no no plan in sight to get them the power to their fields. So it's it's shifting back and or equalizing. And I I don't think that enough operators are are kind of forecasting enough on that piece um, just because it's never really been this big of an issue. I mean, everybody's electrifying everything, period. And emissions regulations are getting stricter and they, they've, they've got to do something. They've got to replace this, replace that, and they can't bring in their line power and they're going to have to have turbines, but now turbines are constrained because everything else needs the power. Even Texas passed, um, you know, after Winter Storm Uri, the House Bill 2043 that originally passed, for Texas to finally have backup power generation, um, which used to be illegal for the transmission and distribution companies to own their own power. Like you have to get your power from the power plant, but now they can. there's a bill in place where they can procure their own power generation in the case of an emergency. Well, that also takes some power away from this space and everything's electrifying. So, it's going to be a, a wild ride, and we've we've seen a, a big uptick just this year, and I think it's just going to keep going up. So you guys are you're crushing in the completion space. You got this production set as well. What else? Are there any other oil and gas applications? Well, I mean, the the applications are just wide ranging. I mean, the 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 point about that production power extends to compression. They're mm. trying to electrify all the compressors now as well. So there's there's a big piece there midstream LNG. How are compressors normally powered? Well, it used to be like a direct driven uh, compressor, right? Yeah. And now what they're trying to do is put uh, a drive on the back end of it and then hook that up to the grid. Mm. So it's I mean the big issue really countrywide at the moment is just there's not enough capacity on the grid. They, and that extends beyond just Texas as ERCOT. Yeah, I mean like I was I was at a conference recently where. Uh, the the head of Excel was talk, talking about the fact that electric demand is going to increase by fivefold in the next few years. So they're forecasting that amount of growth. That, I mean, that's unprecedented in, in this country. And we've got a grid which is, you know, it, it's an aging grid. Okay, the maintenance on, you know, upgrading all of that just can't keep up. And is it 5x over what period of time? It's I think it was three years. Don't quote me exactly, but he... he uh, he was saying it's like be between electrification of vehicles, electrification of new new industries, as well as growth industries, such as, you know, we'll talk about AI, data centers, you name it. There's a lot of new stuff coming on and uh, they just they just don't know what to do with it. And utilities in general have been, they're, 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 they're kind of regulated in a lot of places. Uh, they have a lot of red tape to get through to make new connections and, safety requirements and legislations they have to to follow and uh that takes time 
So, you know, when you've got this huge growth path. And then the third the third piece is that the they're also under pressure to to you know make it more green okay so the utility grids trying to go to these technologies mm -hmm. that great thing right i think you know renewables are a great thing but they are further away from where the loads are right you have much longer transmission line to get to a solar field or you know wind farm than you would have if you had a a, a plant right there mm -hmm. so it's uh it's a challenge and those guys are just kind of buckling a little bit under the weight so it's it's meant companies like us are slotting yeah. into the middle to try and you know essentially we're a risk avoidance uh, tactic mm -hmm. on the oil and gas side too um we've powered uh drilling rigs as well multiple rigs at, at one time uh, as well as some of their esps and saltwater disposal wells mm. and so we threw everything online and those, you know, that doesn't really you, you work. Power, did you power all that in one turbine? Yes. So a, a one 30 megawatt turbine, um, but that takes a bit more planning, right? You have to build out your electrical infrastructure ahead of time. Um, and you have to have rigs within a close proximity to each <coughs> other. Uh, it's not Can so- Can you run multiple rigs on one? Yeah. It's not so common anymore. Um, if they're close, I mean, it's yeah. how, how much wire do you want to run? You yeah. Know? We have a picture where we have three or four drilling rigs, you know, drone footage, three or four drilling rigs, a turbine, and then, you know, another line going off into a field. And we essentially were powering everything at one time. Um, it's oh, wow. less common because there's not as many rigs drilling next to each other anymore. Be, but yeah. um, one, one cool job we did for, uh, for one of the majors was uh, they, they had a bunch of produced water, right? So there's a cost there to, to ship that out. And turbines have this kind of unique feature that if you inject water into exhaust, you can actually reduce the emissions even further. Mm. So uh, as a way to solve two problems at once, you know, we were going to be on site for a couple of years in this location. So we put a little demon skid next to the, the turbine, took the produced water and injected it directly into the turbine. So, you know, it's saving costs, saving emissions and, you know, increasing the, the capacity of the turbine at the same time. So that's cool. I mean, it's like, that's the sort of, uh, that's really where Lifecycle cut, cut our teeth. That was finding kind of innovative solutions to problems that the customers had. We'd figure it out and then you become the expert in that space and you become someone that they can trust. That's a, so, good, that's a good point because so often we work with customers that are like, send me your gas specs, send me what you can handle. And I, I'm always like, no, no. send me what your gas is and we're going to do everything in our power to engineer and make that work um, without just loading you down with a bunch of scrubbing equipment and um, gas processing equipment. So we don't ever, like I said, turbines can handle a higher BTU content. So we actually take a lot of pride in just being the execution company. Like that's the perfect way to put it is, you know, we will engineer, procure, manage anything from the compression, which... I mean, I want the operator to handle that themselves, but we will procure and manage that. We can help with the gas processing. We'll we'll run the simulations. We'll do we'll do everything. We'll provide the transformer if we need to step up or down the voltage on the back end. Um, and it's really like a set it and forget it type of application for our customers because no matter where we are, we go out there every day, put our hands on it, even if it's production doesn't need anybody. But if we're on a frack, obviously we have you know, some guys there around mm -hmm. the clock on those applications, but, um, 
On the yeah. rigs, I'm going to throw you a little, little bit of a hard question here. You don't have to give me an exact answer because I know there's a nuance to it. I know it depends. <clears throat> but just give me like a ballpark. How much money would you save going with like with you guys powering it versus the traditional diesel power for say, it rig? all depends on the cost of diesel at the time and the co- the cost of their gas are they have a marketing agreement are they mm-hmm. buying it back at market rate is it free is it th- like so it, let, let me give you a couple of numbers yeah. that might help so the the co- if diesel is roughly about three dollars fifty ish okay if I equate that back to cost per kW it works out in the 20s 20 cents mark call it 21 to 24 cents. And uh, gas, if you're paying, some of these guys get their gas for free, right? It's a a throwaway product, but um, it's sold in dollars per thousand SCF typically, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you've got buyback gas, argument's sake, it's three or four dollars, let's say four dollars per thousand SCF. The turbines roughly are about 10,000 BTU per kW hour. So uh, the the math is really easy. Uh, you can say it's going to be uh, for every dollar per thousand SCF, it's a cent per kW hour, right? So my fuel cost could be as small as four cents per kW hour mm. as opposed to 21 or 24 cents per kW hour with diesel. Mm. So even if I'm paying for extra equipment to do that, that's a huge delta there yeah. that you can... You can Five uh, X cheaper. Yeah, so, and I mean, look, it depends on, you know, how much power the rig's actually consuming. Uh, you know, if you can throw multiple rigs on one turbine, you're you're winning all day. Yeah, yeah. It, you can, like, break even. Um, you can even <coughs> do better, but essentially, it's hit and miss, and I'll say, like, you can make it work with one rig, chasing one rig, and it is a no-brainer if you have two. Like, it is 100%... The, the economic math, the, the math we worked on it was if your load your average load was uh higher than about 1.2 megawatts then uh putting a five meg turbine out with it could be cheaper than a diesel solution so um i'm sure someone's going to fact check that but hey uh, <laughs> hey hey just rough just rough numbers this is back so, the, the yeah. rigs are just tricky because the transient loads are so i mean your average load could be just under a meg but your peaks are at 3.3 3.4 megs so I mean, and then it your elevation comes into play. So it's got to be, um, it's got to be the the right application. But it it definitely can work. It can definitely be economic. Um, if anyone has two rigs in the same vicinity, no brainer, no brainer. Have any like two operators like split a turbine? Be like, hey, there's two I rigs that are been close by. Talking about that for a long time, but. Not everybody likes to share, but I think they're coming around to that idea. And Jeff power. can talk yeah. more about it. He's been going to a lot of the PBPA uh, meetings. With My, what Midland. I would like to see happen is for basically for us to be contracted with the with Encore. Yeah. Mm. Right. Let's say instead of you know basically the way Encore works, they they do a whole bunch of new projects. Okay, and if there's any delays on that it only gets uh, displayed once or three times a year, okay? So in between times, there's no knowledge that there's been a delay or cancellation of project. So a lot of the operators end up thinking they're going to get power and then, Mm -hmm. you know, at the 11th hour, they don't. So they panic. They have to, you know, oversubscribe to generation. They're going to, you know, overpay for it. I mean, the ideal situation would be if we could just be behind the meter almost, um or sorry i guess yeah being connecting up to a substation that feeds a whole area and then we could feed two or three operators from one place 
I mean, I would love if we could get to that place from a, a legislation uh, standpoint where where that could be happening. So, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of changes going on. I think it's going to be a uh, an interesting space for the next few years. So, yeah. especially, I mean, in utility and oil and gas, both data centers and everything else. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about data centers and AI. I mean, AI. I don't think AI is just based on my conversations with people, I don't think it's been accurately included in the calculations for demand over the next few years. And I think that the demand for AI is gonna to continue to skyrocket. I think it's gonna consume way more energy than we're anticipating. And so and I'm kind of curious, what are you guys doing on the data center side? I honestly feel that the utilities, if someone self-generates, they ignore that power need. Okay, it's not properly calculated. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the uh, the data centers, oil and gas customers, you you name it, whoever it is, they if uh, if they think there's a risk from the utility, they'll try and self-generate. And those pods, I mean, it's an interesting model they all have because we're we're working with a lot of the different customers, but generally a building is roughly about twelve megawatts. Okay, and then they kind of. They, they scale it that way. So they have kind of like, you know, uh, just in rack sizes, um, you know, everything. It's kind of done in 12s. And the buildings can go all the way up to, you know, if you're talking megawatts, it could be like 108 or 170 megawatts, right, that some of these guys are, are looking for. And that's a big, big amount of power. Uh, they want to get off the grid, right, for, for one option. But you're still connected to a grid. It's just a fuel grid instead of an electric grid. So there's, there's challenges all the way around. Everyone's trying to fight for, you know, the access to the pipeline or the access to the grid or, you know, fast internet. So these weird places are popping up all over the country where, um, where these huge data centers are coming in. And it's, I mean, it's, it's massive. Every time you go and talk to these guys, it's huge amounts of power they're looking for. And at certain point, I mean, it's like who, who pays wins, right? So, uh, I mean, we're if they don't step up the generation piece in the country, there's going to be some shortfalls for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know of one site in particular in Rockdale, uh, right outside of Austin, they consume one gigawatt. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's normal, but they um, and then they because it's so critical, they have to back up as well. <coughs> so it's backups to the backups. So there's a there's a lot that goes into them. Those guys are smart. You know, they, they really, they have a lot of things on their table to, to think of and a lot of competing parts that have to all come together. Uh, I mean, my personal opinion is the AI is almost going to become like a national security issue. I mean, when you talk about like, you know, some of the, the, the sort of global frictions that are going on, you know, America's still got a, a bit of a step on other parts of the world in terms of, you know, AI development, but it's only like six months ahead. So... It doesn't take much to to close that gap if there's a, a constraint, and I think that you know power is one of those things. So, even with all of our problems, are we are we better situated than other countries in terms of power? Well, it's it's not necessarily the power, but certainly the AI development. Yeah. I mean, this country has really spearheaded a lot of the, the advances. So, the I mean that that is a. Um, I'll do a plug for um, my, my cousin's company. She works for Anthropic and they're one of the big companies. Yeah, they're one of the top three out there right now. Yeah, so she she was telling me all about, you know, they're they're looking at all the different 
situations that the the countries are in. And it's, I mean, it really comes down to how much processing power do you have? So that's the computers themselves. So the NVIDIA computers seem to be the, mm -hmm. the, that's um, the standard, the standard at the yeah. moment. But then, uh, you know, if you can't power them, then that's, that's going to be a bottleneck as well. So, you know, you've got to do these huge training models on the data. It's not just storing the data. It's how do you process it? How do you actually make that into a product? And, um, you know, it goes e-commerce, it goes, you know, like I said, national security, military stuff. It could be, you know, all manner of different industries are affected by that. Have you all, have you all looked at like military applications? I mean, obviously that's like, you know, I was, did my time in the Marines mm -hmm. and every time you go out in the field, I mean, what we had to do, and obviously you don't need like massive amounts of powers for right. small like movements, but for larger, like a base in Afghanistan or something, you do because you're powering a ton of stuff, right? And that's a perfect application because you need, you need to power every single, like, comms equipment and the the food and the the housing and like everything like we just use diesel generators yeah i mean it's uh, like you know every uh, there's there's plenty of people out there providing power across the world we're yeah. we're not the only people doing this okay i don't think that we would ever profess to be like the only turbine company in the, the world. The U.S. has been keeping us busy. As we, are, we are bidding yeah. on over uh, like international bids all the time. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, applications here in the U.S. take take precedence. Why would we send it over there when we're getting the same thing yeah. just right here? And I looked into it when I first started, but man, utility, especially after Winter Storm URI, um, the backup power generation there, emergency response, and then oil and gas has been keeping us. I mean, very I don't, busy. I don't think you you really touched on that no, fully, but yet. like um, Storm Yuri yep. for life cycle was like our, that was our unicorn moment. I mean, we um, we as a company, they they changed the law and said utility companies had to have a backup in Texas, mm. and life cycle won the entire uh, contract. I think from, it had a lot to do with the fact that life cycle is based out of Houston we all of our employees and technicians are in houston like it was important to center point too to like contract with a company that like lived through what they're going to be aiding yeah. and assisting with right and it's funny to have seen like i i've you know where was center point with we've talked to aep encore like they all put out these bids after you know the legislature put that out and um, it's very funny to see who took what. Now, Houston definitely sees more natural disasters than, you know, anywhere else. Risk. It seems like it's between bigger. hurricanes and the freezes and everything else under the sun. But um, it's kind of funny to see, like, you know, Centerpoint took hundreds of megawatts. And then, you know, the AEPs, I believe, was 60. And then Encore took like 11. And they're massive. And they have huge power issues. And um it, it's been interesting to watch and we're having more and more conversations revisited i don't you know it's it's their first time to deal with this too right so they're coming yeah. in very green trying to learn this from scratch and when we work with some other industries that aren't oil and gas it's it's more of like a teaching moment sometimes um whereas like the folks we speak with in oil and gas understand engines and they understand this and they understand that and uh yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's been interesting, but we really, I think, broke the mold when it came to uh, first responder for. We, we deployed about five hundred and what is it five hundred and fifty megawatts in three months, three or four months. It was like unheard of, you know. 
to be able to make that response. Just it was seventeen substations across. Basically, the from Katy to like Lake, um, not Lake Jackson, but basically from the west in mm-hmm. the greater Houston area. I mean, the density here though is just insane. The density and the amount of people. So uh, we have them strategically placed at substations, and um, we've had other talks with folks that. You know, perhaps we don't place them at substations. Perhaps we're here and we'll do a call out and um, we're, we're walking down that path right now. But, um, you know, because power is constrained and it, if certain folks wait until they need it, till the day, it might not be there, right? And so we've done a lot of emergency response, whether it's to a hospital directly, whether it's to um, like a school, a civic, like the entire town of Lake Jackson lost power for a week. And life cycle power came up, plugged in a five megawatt turbine and powered this, I don't know if it was called a civic center or similar, but, and people were sleeping on the floor and they were feeding them. And it was the city that came together, powered through center point by mm-hmm. life cycle, um, because center point was proactive and mm-hmm. took those measures for emergency for their customers. So we're talking like a few weeks ago and, and we were talking about you guys possibly bringing out one of these units to, yeah. to fuse and you were like, we have, they're like 100% utilized. So is that like y'all's <laughs> current challenge, yeah, which is a good problem to yeah. have of like, you guys are just out here blowing and going. Man. You guys need to get some more units. We, well, we've just taken receipt of another yep. 35 Today. meg. Yeah, oh, wow, we just nice. received it. These things are expensive too. They're like oh, yeah. $25 million. Yeah, like they're not yeah. cheap, but... The, um, I mean, the, the great thing is we're like, a, a, you know, we were talking earlier, this year was a, we had a massive growth year last year. Yeah. And then this year was meant to be a kind of like catch our breath and, you know, get the processes worked out uh, type of year. We've still grown by about 200 megawatts this year alone. And, you know, as soon as people know that we've got it, we're getting the phone's ringing. So uh, we've not got any again, shortage of work, but it's like yeah. we're, we're, we're growing very quick and next year we've got another big spurt that's planned so uh you know if anyone's listening i mean we're we're definitely not constrained from the point of view that we don't have fleet it's just that everything's moving in and out from different projects and you know at certain points we you know we'd rather get you know someone who needs the power rather than sit it on a a floor show you know no absolutely how many how, how long do people usually have these things for could be, I mean, we've done as short as a few days. Emergency okay. response is a special case, right? We really want to help and be there. It was almost like yeah. a first responder there. But um, our lo- longest contract is, you know, greater than five years. I'd say a happy medium in oil and gas is, now this is rough, maybe two years. We have three-year contracts. We have people that sign up for a year all the time. Um and then if we have something in the yard sitting, we'll fill in gaps and perform a couple months here and there. Um, we're very, very flexible as far as we, we're playing a lot of Tetris to try to satisfy everything all the time. And it's been working out. And I think that the reason why we are utilized the way we are is just because um, our operations team kicks ass. Like I came from global, global Halliburton. and I came over to Lifecycle Power when is they were- to, Is there about to be a lot of shade thrown here? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I came over to Lifecycle Power and there were 14 employees. I came from Halliburton to a company that had 14 people. And we had a couple hundred megs, I believe at the time, maybe not even that, I'm not sure, maybe 200 or so. And uh, today we've got still 
I mean, very low overhead, but we've got 80 employees and we've got almost a gigawatt. And it's been a like awesome. It's been so badass to just be a part of this growing and watching. Mm-hmm. And he came from the outside world. I mean, he's got 15 years at a Greco and he he tells stories all the time about like how we came in and whether it was we're taking work or like the reputation, like we haven't even put out a lot of marketing and done this and that. It's solely based off of our reputation and world word of mouth. So I think the technology really changed yeah. when the, the turbines got more mobile. Mm. I mean, that made, made a big difference because suddenly you had a mobile product that could uh, run on these heavy fuel gases. Was it was that just like a sizing thing? Like they got to the point where you can put them on a trailer or what? It was, yeah, it was just a configuration. Just how you package it. I mean, like the- Solar kind of led the yeah. way. Mm. Single trailers or two trailer designs versus um, the four trailer designs. But even if it has multiple trailers, if it doesn't have a crane lift, that's more beneficial for an EFRAC than something else. And uh, it's changed. I mean, it's crazy because the, I mean, like Noel said, I worked with engines for a long time and uh, it takes so many people to manage those jobs because you need to change the oil, you need to change the spark plugs. Like the turbines, we can we can run a gigawatt power with you know, a relatively small fleet of technicians compared to... This is a good number for you, just out of just so that you know what he said. Um, you have to shut down to do those things. Um, yeah. And with a turbine, I think that there's one application where we ran it for 18 months, well over a year without taking a single shutdown. Like it provided consistent power for... So is there practically well no maintenance on these things? You have to do a borescope and, you know, what is that, what is that mean? that's where you, you stick a camera in basically and check the insides. Do water like washes. Things, see if there's any cracks or warping. Yeah. So, like you know, but the, the oil isn't something that has to be replaced as, as often. We change air filters regularly, yeah. especially in yeah. West Texas. But it's, but it's all external. I mean, it's not things. But it can be done on shipping. the fly while it's running. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, I mean, that's the biggest thing for me uh, changing over was just the fact that, I mean, you, you need, let, let's say we were doing the same number of fleets. I mean, we're doing like, what, about nine or 10 fleets at the moment in an EFRAC. If we were doing that with uh, engines, we'd need probably six or seven times the number of people just to, just to manage. And then it's all the, you know, all of the consumables and everything like that. It becomes a big operation. So, mm-hmm. um you know, just as a business, it's allowed us to, you know, be lean, grow quick, react to our customers' problems and, you know, focus on them instead of our own. That's one of the things about electric cars. There, There is one massive benefit. Forget everything else about mm-hmm. whether it's actually green or not. In terms of a consumer product for people who don't know anything about maintaining a vehicle, you don't have to change the oil anymore. Don't have to change the spark plugs. Yeah. There's like a lot of maintenance. You, I mean, you still have to change the brake pads. You still have to change tires, things like that. Right? The battery. Yeah, but there's like <laughs> much less than than you would with the internal combustion engine. So there's like one. Yeah. Side no, I think I think there's a lot. I mean, the the acceleration for me yeah. is the big advantage. Like I thought, you know, if you've ever ridden an electric car, it's like a super fun experience. But uh, yeah, I mean the. And it, look, I mean, electrification of things helps us grow as well. I mean, it's not a bad thing if, you know, they want to want to do all these extra industries, but it's really just, uh, it's everything that, all the other steps in the chain, that's the hard part. You know, where have they all been upgraded the same way that the end consumer piece has? So, yeah. yeah. 
Guys, this has been awesome. I feel like I learned a lot about power. Did you? And I was like drinking through a fire hose because it's hard to talk about multiple industries being utilized in multiple different ways and um, multiple angles. And then you have the competition is like totally different technology. Mm. So it's a lot to consume in a short amount of time. We're, we're very excited about Fuse as well. I mean, the, the work that you guys do, I mean, we spoke about it uh, the other day and I actually I, I posted about it today, but um, you know, I've had ad agencies say they will not work with companies that oh, work yeah. with oil and gas companies. Oh, yeah. that's a thing. And I find that incredible, you know, that that's even a thing. Um, you know, this is, this is a very important industry for so many things and people are too quick to, you know, shoot it down and say, no, nope, we're just walking away from that completely. It comes from a lack of understanding. And I think that, um, I think I give people a little bit more grace because you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, we as an industry have totally failed at telling our own story, right? And so mm -hmm. there's a void there and the activists have come in and filled that void with great storytelling and have really captured the hearts and minds of people. And so, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality that we we live in but it's an amazing industry and so we've talked about you know how could we how could we also help with attracting more people to the industry whether it's um you know different kinds of content different kinds of events that are more geared mm -hmm. towards bringing people in and like attracting them to you know various you know jobs and roles at different companies and stuff so it's an exciting time I mean, we, we'd love to get more young people in our business as well, Jake. So if, uh, you know, if any of your listeners are, you know, interested in turbines or power or think that it sounds like an exciting place to be, we'd love to hear from them as well. So Absolutely. even if it's you just guys, replacements. Do you guys have any, any job openings right now? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking for people all the time okay. right now. Awesome. So yeah, just um, reach out our, our, you know, you, I'm sure you can pass on our details, but um, we're... Uh, yeah, we're, it's, yeah, it's we're a really fun, we can't we can't hire quickly enough. Um, I mean, and we're far away, far enough away yeah. from the the hole in the ground that if oil prices drop, we can put our power wherever we want. You know, it's not yeah. like we're not tied to oil and gas. You know, we support it, but we have a lot of other industries as well. So that's good. You know, it makes us quite resilient to. Yeah. Uh, to that well, thing. the reality is, like, I mean, if you guys are the cheaper the solution, I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. that in itself is a is a kind of a great hedge against just the volatility of the industry, right? You kind of need power to produce and to complete and to drill. Yeah, these and, operators and all need these. to start sharing, can share the microgrid power. I want to see it. Yeah, we got to. It's gonna it happen. happen. Mm -hmm. no, remember, no, I was looking for a pump daddy too. <laughs> was looking for a pump daddy. <laughs> I forgot I said that. <laughs> So if anybody's listening, they want to they want to learn more about you guys, meet you guys. Where's where's the best place to send them? Well, we have our website's www.lifecyclepower.com. Okay. Uh, you can reach out to your power needs at lifecyclepower.com. Okay. And uh, yeah, we we'll pass on our details directly so they yeah. can reach out to you guys at that's the Wildcat for or LinkedIn. Noel LinkedIn. Combs, Jeff Bland. Yeah, we're always we're always floating about somewhere in there, so. <laughs> Well, guys, you're always on a plane. This has been great. Thank you. Cheers, cheers. Cheers. It's good good to finally make this happen. Yeah. We finally got Noel worked up. Finally. To come on the podcast after years. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want edited out uh, after we close this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, if you like the episode, take two seconds. Um, pass it along to all your colleagues, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Cut, 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 cut.